0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of the Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, joined by Chipotle Master Andrew Harlick, and this is going to be episode 111 with Rich Vreeland, aka Disasterpiece, who composed the score for both Fez and the feature film It Follows, which you all know I love because I talk about it all the time. Rich joins us this week to tell us a story about how he broke into the music industry, some insights to the business side of making music, the importance of inspiration and collaboration, along with where things are heading for him in the near future. We also want to give a big shout out to BlendFest, which is a design and animation conference that's going to be taking place in Vancouver, October 16th 16th through the 17th. There are going to be some really amazing speakers at this event, some of whom you already know as past guests from the collective podcast, such as Giant, J.R. Canest, and Justin Combe, to name a few. So check it out at BlendFest.ca. Here we go, everyone. Episode 111 with Rich Vreeland, aka Piece. Let's roll. I'm really stoked. I'm really excited about having you on here. Um, I think ever since I've known about your work since Fez, obviously. Um, I'm sure it's, it sounds like you're quite a multi-talented person. I just found out that you sing as well. So I was listening to that. <laughs> and, um, and then I went and saw, I actually went and saw it follows because of your music. <clears throat> I found out that you did the score for it and I was like, okay, well, I think this is really interesting and I want to go see the film. And it turned out that I love the films, a lot of fun. So Um, and ever since then I was like, Andrew, we must get this guy on this show, so let's figure it out. So I'm just really stoked and kind of nerding out. So thanks for (laughs) joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah.
1: Awesome. My pleasure.
0: Yeah. It's really cool. I was uh, actually listening to a couple of your interviews and there's a couple of questions I'm sure that you get tired of hearing or being asked, so I'll try not to jump on those too much, but I'm more or less kind of just curious about kind of your origin, um, kind of where you come from and why you got into the things that you're doing and, um, yeah,
1: know. sure. Um, I grew up in Staten Island, New York and, um, let's see, my, uh, my mother has been a graphic designer for a long time. And, um, so grew up in, in a household with a, with a Mac pretty much since the, the early nineties. Um, so from an early, from a relatively early age, I was, really interested in computers and that manifested itself in a couple of ways. One way was that I played a lot of video games growing up. Um, but another way was that probably around the age of like maybe 12, I started messing around with, um, with, uh, with, with design software. I started messing around with like Photoshop and like Quark express and stuff like that. And, um, I would make, um, I would make fake logos. I would I would make newsletters for my street that weren't real. Hmm. Um, uh, what what else? There was like that program. You guys know uh, Kid Picks.
0: Oh yeah, old school. The yeah, best.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to play with that like all the time and like make slideshows and like little like animated shows and stuff. Awesome. So like growing up, I was totally like. um... You know the kind of kid who was hanging out in his bedroom a lot, whole lot and and just kind of being creative and and, and drawing and,
0: and doing stuff like that. Which is, I guess, um, people would consider that what like a nerd because I was the same thing. I did the same thing, but I guess nerd is kind of glorified these days, oddly enough. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Um, you were like
0: a jock, or like into sports and stuff.
1: Well, actually, I'm. Um, I was huge into sports.
0: Which sport were you into?
1: Well, growing up, I was into like all the sports. Um, I had had a really big like baseball card collection. Um, I used to, you know, I, I played basketball a lot. Like not not in any sort of official capacity, but I had a basketball hoop and I would play. Like sometimes I I'd, I'd play like every single day. Um, but my favorite sport has always been ice hockey.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: so, and uh, I grew up playing that, and then I still play ice hockey now. Um, and you know, I used to get like the NHL game, like every, every year that was the, (laughs) that was like my prized possession. That was the one thing I always wanted every year.
0: Hockey's awesome. (laughs) Well, you grew up on the East coast, Northern East coast. So it's kind of like a, it's like a staple up there. I would imagine. Right. Yeah, totally. When I lived in Vermont, it was, it was quite the thing. Like that was the thing that, um, everybody, it was Uh, it's interesting moving around the country different different regions have different kind of sports that people follow but definitely up north um hockey is the thing and i think it's probably uh, Aside from i'm a big mixed martial arts fan so aside from watching that hockey's my second that i can sit through and watch a full game and be entertained and and like really excited about cool
1: cool yeah i've always i've always really appreciated it i feel like it's a very uh it's a very interesting game. It's it's very beautiful. Yeah, in some
0: ways. it's incredibly technical. And there, there's this. Um, I don't know if you, you if you have Netflix, but there's this incredible um, kind of documentary on. Uh, I think it's like the road to. Uh, it's going to kill me. Oh, um, the road
1: to the road to uh, the Stanley Cup.
0: Yeah, something like that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's not the Stanley Cup. It's um, it's one of the games where they play in that they take over a football field and they put. That, oh
1: yeah, the the road to. Uh, the uh Winter classic
0: yes that have you seen that
1: yeah that's really
0: cool It's phenomenal it's so well done and composed and it really lets you see kind of inside the eye and the mind of a professional athlete and how rugged it is you know it's 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 like a nonstop action like just ridiculous and these guys have to balance out having a family and it's really a difficult thing. It's a beautiful piece, though. I've turned everybody I know onto that. It's a really great piece to watch if you're interested in Even if you're not into hockey either, just in passionate people in general, it's really great.
1: Yeah, I would totally agree with that.
0: Awesome. So that's cool. So just growing up, being around your mom who's a creative person and um, kind of feeding off of that, do you think that kind of helped spark kind of your uh, creative flow just being around that kind of environment?
1: I think so, but I think um, in a lot of ways, the, the catalyst for that stuff was, was actually my stepfather, who uh, I grew up with. Um, you know he, he raised us for, for about maybe 10 years, maybe longer, actually, so cool. Um, he was uh, he's, a, he's a photographer and a musician, a performer. Um, he was the music director of our church. He used to have band practice in the basement. He had a Beatles cover band. Um, he still, used, used to release books like of, sh- of short stories and stuff. Um, so he has like a very sort of, uh, strong, uh, outward type of creative energy. That's kind of always coming out of him. Um, and I think that was even more so like very, um, motivating and inspiring to be around.
0: Yeah. I think uh, there's a little bit of nature and nurture kind of going on. Um, I had a similar upbringing. So, but I think it really helps when you're, you know uh, your parents are really involved or creative as well. And it's kind of a common language that's exchanged and stuff. So being around live music and stuff at an early age really helps, I think as well with your creative mind and how you use music, I think as well. So it's just really awesome. yeah did you get so you take that inspiration as you're developing as a child and growing up and um whereabouts did it go from there were you um playing the music i heard that when one of the interviews we can talk a little bit little bit about it because i'm a big fan of tool as well and bands like that i mean when did you encounter these kind of bands and um is this more towards like i don't know how old you are so is this more like the high school range and then you go on to college and you know all that kind of stuff
1: yeah, I I didn't really get into music until I was a, an early teenager, and that's when I started buying CDs and stuff. Mm. Um, and in the beginning, it was it was contemporary Christian music, and then it was hit, then it was like rap and new metal. Um, and then in high school, I started getting into some more alternative type stuff. Um, but you know, one of the one of the bands that really stood out to me in the beginning was Tool. I remember listening. I remember sitting in bed and, and listening to like the, the, the debut of, of, sh- of Schism.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And just kind of being blown away as like a I oh, know, that must've been like 2000 or something. So I was like a 14 year old. Yeah. Um, just kind of like, wow, this is really cool.
0: It's powerhouse yeah. stuff that that band is, uh, yeah, I think they're, I regard them as my generations Pink Floyd. They're a little bit more angry, but so is the world <laughs> it's a little bit different, different setup, but they're that yeah. powerful. They're a really unique band. Yeah. Have you ever seen them live?
1: I have not. No, but I've heard that it's a pretty interesting, uh, experience to see them live.
0: It's pretty life changing. I think, I think the way that they, um, use music as a device to really engage their audience rather than, um, you know, there's different experiences that I've had. I, I think the two, best things I've seen live ever has been Tool and um M eighty three. M eighty three is pretty phenomenal live. But that's gotta be kinda interesting. So you mentioned um your religious background and then Tool is all about questioning that and yeah. actually imposing kind of a, an alternative rule uh thought on such like, you know, Christianity and stuff. It's kind of I mean Maynard oftentimes calls religion out. So yeah, is yeah. that a kind of kind of a clash for you when you're growing up?
1: Um yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. I don't think so. Um, the other band I was really into was Rage Against the Machine. Sure. Um, and, you know, I think, I think growing up, I, I was somewhat sheltered and, um, but I, I felt compelled to explore these, these bands and, and to explore things like that. And, um, it kind of, it kind of made me prop, you know, have to process certain things and ideas and kind of re you just reassess, you know, where I stood with, with legit and those sorts of things. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say like Tool and Rage Against the Machine, those bands kind of came up for me right around the same time that I started playing guitar in high school. Hmm. So that was like a perfect storm of, of inspiration for me as, as, a, as a budding guitar player to be exposed to this like this really sort of like heavy, funky, like riff-oriented music.
0: Um, yeah, it's kind of perfect time, like Tom Morello's style, and then Alex, uh, or Adam, Sorry, Adams. Work. They're super riff heavy. But I, I grew up in the same era, in the same. That's when I started playing bass as well. And my favorite band was Rage Against the Machine, and I would, or that, or like I'd lift, I'd watch old Metallica videos and imitate Cliff and stuff. So <laughs> and those are, that was always like um, felt like that was an era that it's. There's no longer here anymore. Obviously, there's no. There's no rage against the machine. Tool's still kind of still present, but it's not really. Um, but it was really unique, I felt, at that time. The, yeah. the the style and the feel of music. And if you're interested in playing instruments like guitars and drums or anything, it, I felt like there was like a peak right there. And I think that was around, yeah, 2000, around 2000. Yeah, yeah. 99, 2000. Yeah. What are you into now? Is there a type of music? I mean, it sounds like you went all the way from... I mean, we're skipping a little bit here, but uh, you know, flash forward—you're doing comp- composing tracks for video games and um, and now films as well. And it's interesting; it seems like your passion's been able to take you to multiple different stages. And it seems like you embrace things openly and and just throw yourself at projects. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm always looking for new things to work on and, and things that are going to expand my my horizons. Uh, interests, things that are going to challenge me, um, and I've gotten really into kind of music as a form and how how it can be adapted into into different sort of presentation. Um, you know, with with games, one of the things that I really like about scoring games is that the the presentation of music in games it can can manifest in so many different ways. Um, you know, you can approach it in a traditional way where you have music that just exists in certain places in the game and it loops or whatever, but you can go so much deeper than that. And you can, you can do some really interesting things with music. That's nonlinear with music. That's interactive with, with music. That's based on algorithm and algorithms. Um, and, uh, so that's been, that's really been a, a playground for me, um, both, both, uh, creatively and intellectually. And, um, That hasn't, that's never been more true than, than now, um, with this project that I'm working on, which is called uh, mini Metro.
0: Okay. This is the the current thing that you're involved with.
1: Yeah. This is one of the projects I'm working on right now. And it's a, it's a game where you design a subway system Mm -hmm. and, um, it kind of has this very simple aesthetic, uh, that's based on subway maps of various cities and stations all take a different shape. Um, b- based on ten different simple shapes, and the passengers all have a shape, one of those ten shapes as well. And the passengers appear at different different platforms, and um, you know they want to get to another station with a different shape that matches their shape. So you're kind of drawing lines and and planning a subway system, and you get you get uh, trains and you get carriages, um, and you get certain kinds of upgrades like tunnels. Um, it's a very like it's a very Zen sort of game and it's, it's totally, um, totally systems oriented and it has a bit of an urban planning vibe to it. And when these guys, uh, uh, Pete, Pete Curry, Rob Curry and Jamie Churchman, they're, they're based out of New Zealand. Um, when they reached out to me to, to work on it, I, I saw it as like a kind of a dream project in a lot of ways. Awesome. Because it's like a, it's like a sandbox. It's like a, I mean, I guess most projects are like a canvas, but this it's something about this specifically you know it was screaming to me because there's all this stuff happening, all this game data, and it's a perfect opportunity to do something different, um you know to not just write a piece of music and then just throw it over the level or whatever, but to actually like tap into what's happening, like the behaviors like the passengers and what their flow is like they get on a train, they go to the circle station and they get off. Or You know, what do the trains do? Um, what do the lines do? So we've been working on a system for about uh, almost a year now. Um, and it's, it's a procedural music system where, um, you know, all the lines that you draw are generating uh, different rhythms, cool. different notes. Each line has a certain note ass- assigned to it. And then all the activity that happens on that line will take that note. Um, so the sound of, you know, the sound of the train engines on that line will ha- will share that note. The sound of passengers getting onto the trains on that line will share that note. Um,
0: so it's like live feedback composing music as you go and, and like as you're building the level and playing and interacting with it. Then right?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like music as sound design.
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of cool. It's I guess it sounds kind of similar to. Like if you're working with Ableton or um, any of those kind of things, but it's actually an interactive experience, so it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, awesome. That sounds like it's really involving. The thing I love about video games as well is um, <clears throat> the fifth dimension of it, the the full because um, it's like one step beyond movies where it's more inter- there's an interactive ex- uh, element to it that really makes <clears throat> a unique experience for not only for the user but for the creator as well. So. And I think that's probably where a lot of things are heading naturally because of how things are built um, in games in general, I think, and where they're heading towards is more interaction. So that's really cool that you're enjoying that experience. I'll have to look into it. Is there like a, a release date or a blog or something like that that you guys are exposing some of the news for this?
1: Yeah. So the game has been on Steam for about a year. It's, okay. an, it's an early access. Um, the game will have um, The game will have music soon. And uh, the website is, is uh, DinopoloClub.com slash MiniMetro.
0: Awesome. Cool. We'll have show notes, too, in this. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yep. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Oh, Andrew's already got it there. Cool. Yeah, on the sh- um, and when we release the podcast, we release notes as well so that everybody that's listening to it, all these random things that we'll jump across and talk about, there will be links to it. So. Sweet. Awesome. This is really cool though. So this is something that you're developing right now. How, how many other things are you working on or is this your soul solely just working on this project?
1: This is, this is kind of the main thing. Um, I, I was working on an episode of adventure time. Oh, cool. and, uh, yeah, that was a really, that was a blast.
0: Get to work with Penn.
1: Uh, no, um, I worked with, uh, Kristen Lapore, who's a, um, uh, a stop motion animator. Awesome. And, uh, we, uh, she was asked uh, to be a guest director for an episode and she reached out to me to, to do the music. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun.
0: Has working on Fez, um, opened up quite a bit of doors for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I would say that Fez has kind of been the, the, like the most important projects that I've worked on. And, and since then it's kind of started to snowball for me and, and you know, I've had, had a lot of great opportunities um, it's just that you know it's the kind of project where i think first first of all i think um well we're we're really proud of it i think it's i think it's a really good game and um, I think we've put a lot into it and and, and it it was very well received and it's, yeah, it's sold, a
0: beautiful game sold
1: like a yeah thank you yeah. it's um you know it's sold like a stupid number of copies at this point so it's great the, the visibility is really high um so for a freelancer that's like you couldn't ask for a better situation, really.
0: Yeah, you really couldn't. I think that there's always one one big thing that can help with the freelancer's career, and, and tagging on to something really big <clears throat> and getting a lot of exposure um, is just the best. And especially when, in, like, when I play Fez and uh, when I experience um, the music that you make, um, there's a really cool honesty and like wholesome fun. Quality. I felt like you enjoyed the experience. I don't know if I'm wrong, but I feel like you enjoyed the experience of making the music. I, I don't know. I can tell there's something unique there. Is that the case or was it kind of a torturous experience?
1: Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cause from what I listened to on some other interviews, um, I guess the programmer was at one of your shows and he said that, Hey, I would like you to try and do a track and, then you said i'll do the whole thing and then it, is that kind of how, how it un- unfolded
1: yeah pretty much um i i had i had an opinion about about uh scoring a game by compilation hmm. i thought that it, it it has a time and a place and i, I thought that this game would would benefit from, a, from an individual composer
0: yeah a complete um unified feel throughout the world huh?
1: yeah i mean it can work with a with a with a like a compilation. But you need, you need someone at the helm who's really good at kind of like soundtrack editing, like, like you'd find on a, not soundtrack editing, like a, like a soundtrack supervisor, like someone you'd find on a film project who really knows how to like pick and choose music to, to work together. And, uh, but if you're asking a bunch of artists to write new songs for the game, that can be pretty, um, that can be tough, that can require a lot of work to get everything on the same page.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially with music and just the way that it works and stuff, there's always these ups and downs and all over the place kind of experiences. So it's kind of hard to and like how video games are, too. There's multiple different levels of depth and um experiences, even in the world of Fez. And you have to be really a keen keen to that and understand what the, those different ups and downs are. And I feel like you really nailed those things. The soundscape that is in Fez is a very unique um I don't know. It fits really well, I think, with the game. I don't know if that was your intention or prior to Fez, had you done any um, scoring or doing composing any tracks for video games? Yeah,
1: I had done a couple, um, but it's still kind of the beginning of my career. Um, I the first thing I ever did was actually back in like 2006, and Fez I started in 2010. Okay. Um, so though in those few years in between, I, I had done some work um, on. Uh, you know, some bigger, sort of more like traditional game projects. Um, as a as a freelancer, I did some work with with Telltale, um, who do uh, adventure games. Um, I worked on a series called Puzzle Agent, where I got to do some like fun, sort of jazz noir type music um, as as kind of like the second the second hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a nice experience, and uh, I did I did a bunch of like. Scoring for linear media, like like cutscenes and stuff like that. So that was kind of a um, an opportunity to learn some of those skills. Um, but I think for the most part, like coming into Fez, I had mostly done chiptune music um, and had done it for fun, um, and you know was was more in that realm and and uh, was performing and kind of saw like my work as a composer and like my music that I wrote as disaster piece. Um, I kind of saw those as two different things for the most part. Sure. And it was right around that time that I decided that, you know, this doesn't really make sense because it's, I'm kind of like doing all of this stuff in sort of the same way. Um, and even though this stuff is work for hire and this stuff isn't, I think, I think it would be a good sort of career, not just like a career move, but also like a a personal motivator, to put everything under the same umbrella, use the same name and say, you know, I want everything to, to reach this bar of quality, regardless of whether I'm getting paid for it or not.
0: Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it, though. It's, I think it's a proper and healthy way of approaching doing these kind of things. You know, there's an honesty and then like there's some integrity behind it and the actions themselves. I think people respond to that personally. So,
1: Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I didn't, I didn't want to be the person who was doing like projects that I didn't really care about. And then I, and then when they were done, I was burying them. Like I didn't want anyone to find it, you know?
0: Sure. Of course.
1: Yeah. So try to get that out of the way.
0: I think it's always a step though. That's, it feels like that's kind of a constant, that's a hurdle that, um, any freelancer has to jump over. And it's just, it's usually you don't get that rock star start. Usually most people don't. So you kind of have to figure out these different things that you like and what you want to show and how do you build on it? Yeah. Well, I think, the, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that I think with games in particular, there's a little bit of a. Uh, it, it's a little bit easier to to kind of get into that quote unquote like rock star sort of sort of vibe. Sure. Like, it's easier to work on things that I that I think are you 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 know as a as a creator you might be interested in because a lot of a lot of games are. Well, first of all, like when I got into games, it was right around the time that independent games were getting really big. Yeah. Of course independent games are mostly just, you know, a group of, a small group of people who are independently making some kind of game that they want to make. Um so the the sort of like overhead of, you know, this is for a business, you know, this needs to meet like uh the expectations of some kind of like, you know, some kind of like group of like business people or like a board or PR or whatever. Like a lot of that stuff kind of wasn't there for me from the beginning. So uh, like I, I had had those experiences doing freelance, uh, being a freelance designer, like doing freelance graphic design and web design. Um, so I knew what that was like. And, and I think that's part of the reason why I got so uh, interested in, in working on music, because I felt like the feedback loop was much more satisfying as a, as a creator.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit about like, the business side of making music, um, such as like licen- licensing and, and stuff like that?
1: Sure. Um, in, in the beginning, I was working on a lot of projects where I didn't get, I didn't really have any of the things that I wanted as far as like uh, you know being able to retain rights or anything like that. Um, I was basically doing for for hire like like complete buyout type type projects where I I'd, I'd write some music for something and I'd get a flat rate and that was it and they owned the music and that was the end. But working on um independent games uh, kind of gave me an opportunity to to turn that around and to create a precedent for keeping the rights for um for soundtracks
0: cool and, uh, did you like uh did you um use like a lawyer or something to help you with the uh, drafting things up or just kind of read up on your own discover what you wanted it to be
1: yeah i kind of just read up on my own a little bit and and uh for the most part my contracts have, have tended to be really simple when working with small groups of people um, awesome because they don't have you know they they don't want generally don't want big contracts um you know they're they don't have legal departments
0: yeah it's just a couple uh, people usually <laughs>
1: yeah it's just a couple people um so that's just been easier across the board
0: Awesome, and so so now, like um, now, with so let's say for it follows, you're a bit more seasoned now, but this is a different experience now. It's a feature film. Um, is that how the business side of that work for you? So with games,
1: uh, by this
0: point, I've been
1: able to, you know, I generally secure soundtrack rights, so I can release a soundtrack and keep the revenue from that, um, and a lot of times I'll. I'll also get some kind of revenue share. So going into the film projects, I, I knew that it was going to be different and it was going to be harder. And, um, you know, I, I had, you know, we ended up the, the legal side of it. There are four parties involved. There's a film film company. There's the distributor. There's me. And then we brought in the label, a soundtrack label because David, the director wanted to do physical media. He wanted to do, cds and vinyl um but uh i was fortunate that uh I had sort of a, su- a supportive supportive lo- legal team on the the film company and i was able to keep you know keep some of those rights awesome uh, for the music and um you know but it's still their music um in some ways like they have a very you know a very significant exclusivity sort of situation sure and then i i did sort of like split some of the some of the licensing stuff with the soundtrack label, but, but they, they've been really, really helpful in, um, you know, finding some licensing opportunities and for, you know, all the, all the work that goes into doing physical media, it's a lot of work. And, um, you know, it, it's been really beneficial to be, to be paired with a company that kind of knows how to navigate that realm and how to get, get my music into stores and kind of do all that stuff that, yeah. For me it wasn't really worth the time and the energy. So
0: Yeah, it's a whole process, right? It's a quite an industry still, even though it's significantly smaller since we were buying CDs like Rage Against the Machine and stuff. <laughs> There's yeah. no stores like that anymore. But um well there is, but they're very small. It's yeah. lot, mostly online and stuff. But that's really cool to know though, and it's cool to know that um you've, you know, obviously taking yourself more serious and then focusing on like the business side of things so that you can have you know, sustain your life off of making music because it's a different world out there. I think for making music than it used to be, obviously. So, protecting yourself and also um, obtaining the rights to your creative pieces is pretty important, I imagine. So, which is really cool. How is yeah. it? How is the process of? So, we're. I mean, I'm jumping around here, but like, so from what I heard, the um, the director of it follows really enjoyed playing Fez and he loved the music that you made, and he figured it'd probably be pretty interesting for you to maybe collaborate with him on the project. So how is how'd that go along? Did he just reach out to you and send you some stuff and kind of, what was that process like? And I also read that you had to make it an incredibly tight timeline as well. Some, somewhere I read an interview about that.
1: Yeah. So, so David played Fez and, um, that was, that was sort of the, the catalyst for him reaching out to me. He really liked the music and, um, I think he, he thought something similar might work for his film. So it all started with just an email and, um, expressing interest and then you know we kind of went from there and he sent me a script and um the script was interesting it was uh kind of hard to get a feel for um as a horror film you know and and at this point i hadn't seen any of his work either so it's like well you know this is a a big undertaking to dive into with without knowing for sure if this is going to be you know is this going to be a good movie
0: yeah it's hard to tell Uh, you never know until you sit there and watch it
1: yeah, but but like I, David sent me his previous film and I watched that and I I kind of got a sense for his his abilities and, and what he's really good at, and um, you know what I think he's really good at, um, especially is is how he treats his characters mm-hmm. and how the characters interact with each other, in a way that's very it's very simple but but also very effective and very naturalistic, and it 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 feels like. It has, a cinematog- it has a cinematic quality to it, but it still feels very sort of like person next door, kind of um, everyday type of thing. Yeah. And there's, there's something really kind of appealing about that. And then to, to see, oh, he's, he's making a horror film with some of those same elements, I just really, really kind of curious about what that would even look like.
0: It's a cool blend. It's like cinema real, I guess. That's what I'd consider it to be. Yeah. It feels like reality, but it's obviously not. It's distorted, but it's cinematic. It's really interesting. He has a unique voice, for sure, as a director. Yeah. So he sent you over some stuff. Did you get a chance to read um, the, the rough script and stuff? And this is, this is like you said, this is your first film project?
1: Yeah, this was my first film project. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so that was that was looming looming large over me.
0: Like,
1: <laughs> in the beginning, like sure Well, just 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 the the notion that I that I could work on a feature film. Like I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to explore that.
0: So, was it that, always a goal of yours?
1: Yeah, I think it had been for a while. I wanted to do something big. I wanted to do a feature, and you know, awesome. it's, it's a new medium. It's a new experience, and it would open up other opportunities. Yep. Um, so, you know, I. I wanted to to work on it, but um, the timing in the beginning was really tough. Like it didn't seem like it was going to work out at all because I had I had quite a few other projects going. I had like eight other things I was signed on to.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> so that I actually like said
1: a... no like two or three times. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was very persistent, and he knew that I wanted to work on it. <laughs>
0: Most, most directors are very persistent people. They have to be, or they never get their stuff done. Yeah. So he sent you over kind of his rough ideas, and you read through the script. And I've also found out that you're not really a, a horror film fan, really, either.
1: Yeah, I mean... I, I think I, it's really
0: cool, actually, because you get a completely fresh uh, perspective. I think it's a very smart move from David, to, from my perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure that he even knew that, but... Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I never really liked going to
0: scary movies. So do you get scared easily or they just don't scare you at all?
1: Um, it's a little bit of both.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess it depends I, on the film. Yeah.
1: Sometimes it's like, this is not scary. This is really dumb. Or this is, you know, this is terrifying. <laughs> I'm gonna have nightmares for,
0: for weeks. Um, how was it for you up, with it follows? Was was it follows a scary movie for you?
1: No, not not at all. Actually,
0: because you had I, built it though, right? So you knew that behind yeah, the curtain. Yeah,
1: okay. I think that's what it was. I was behind the curtain, and yeah. sort of, I, when I first saw the film, it had no music in it. Hmm. So it was very, it was very interesting to watch the movie that way. And even without the music, I thought this is going to be a really cool movie.
0: That's uh, good. Well, the Coen Brothers proved that with um, No Country for Old Men. They didn't have any score at all in it, no music. I think at all, just sound. Which is, yeah, which is, and it's a brilliant I, film. So
1: that's an example that I bring up a lot, actually, when people ask me about soundtracks because I love that. I love that film and I love the treatment, the musical yeah. treatment. Because there is like there is some there is technically like a composer on the. Very subtle, yeah, but it's super, super subtle. Yeah,
0: incredibly subtle.
1: subtle.
0: Yeah, but I think it's a. I use that as an example as well because it's a brilliant um, example of how it, you don't need necessarily need to go the conventional route, you know. So. But there is no convention, I guess. And that, what I think was really interesting to what, how David sought you out and played Fez and found and connected these dots. I think he gets a really unique experience. And that's what led me to go see his film. And then that's why we're having this conversation for, because of all this stuff, you know, which I think is a fascinating way of approaching things, which is taking completely different pieces and putting them together. They're similar, obviously, but they're, they're unique enough to be... Because when I sat there and watched the film, there was moments where the music that you had created fit so perfectly with the visuals that, like, I literally got goosebumps. That's powerful stuff, you know. Like that doesn't happen to me all the time. I don't know, Andrew. I mean, did you get the same experience when you were watching It Follows? Um, kind of. I mean, it's that film to me was just such a. It came out of nowhere because I didn't know anything about it. That yeah, I just told it, you to watch it. Yeah, it kind of. <laughs> I had heard like rumblings about it, but then once it, once I actually sat down to watch it, which was the only movie I've seen by myself in a theater, I'm pretty sure ever in my life. <laughs> so <laughs> it was very, very enjoyable for me. Yeah.
1: it's funny because David uh, you know I gotta give David some credit because he put together a temp score for the film that I thought was really, really good. Hmm. and be- because of that, that, uh, that timeline. You know, we only had three three weeks to score the film.
0: it's yeah, crazy. Three weeks to score the film. Jeez. <laughs> it was
1: insane. So having a temp score was really valuable. And um,
0: David makes he, his own music as well.
1: He does. But the temp score was actually made up of reference material.
0: OK, um, cool.
1: There was music from other horror films, music from Carpenter.
0: Yeah, there's but, a, a, there's a heavy influence of Carpenter in this thing as well yeah which I, which I think um i i really enjoy because um we don't really have that anymore and i'm not a huge horror f- film fan either but i think that's kind of what's interesting about how you've probably approached this because you have a different year i guess and maybe just kind of mashing your ideas together and kind of creating things because there's a couple of tracks on here um that are really unique. I think, um, as far as the approach to it and the way that you put these sounds and, in bits together. So if I had anything, it's like more like a contemporary carpenter track as far as how I experienced it. And then completely mm-hmm. has some completely unique pieces that are totally yours, which are really cool. So it's like a nod to the past, but a contemporary approach to, um, a newer era of horror film. So cool. Yeah. It's really cool. It's, it's interesting that, um, Working behind these things and you can't really experience the horror of it because sometimes I wish that uh, when I work on films, I could just delete all the memories from it and go and experience it uh, as a raw experience. Do you feel that um, working on these things um, kind of, I guess you probably would like kind of removes kind of removes you from that experience of enjoying it when it's finished? Or I mean, how is that feeling after the third week where you just depleted and take a nap or what? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i'm a little bit well after the third week we went and did the sound mix yeah and, uh that was that was one of the highlights of it because like that was the first time i got to really hear the music in the, in a you know in a the theater that's cool on soundstage and kind of hear it the way that you know that it was intended to be heard that's so um, cool you know it was larger than life we were really <laughs> pushing at the volume it was, <laughs> it, was super, <laughs> it was super intense and uh that was kind of like that was one of the the moments where I was like super excited about it. Yeah. But, but I think also like as a, as a creator on the project, it's a little, a little bit desensitized to it just naturally because, you know, um, like when I did see the movie in theaters, it was more like seeing it as an insider, like, Oh, I wonder how people are going to react to this thing or like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like I'm going in fresh and preparing to, to have this sort of like emotional experience. I mean, there was some of that, but it was it's it's rooted in a different place. It's rooted in the place that someone who you know made something and you know is is presenting it to other people.
0: Yeah, that's I really love the mix too, the quality and the level. So you guys did a great job. You really pushed it hard. <laughs> like there's yeah. some really cool like distortionary devices that really push this. The sound, I remember sitting in the theater. I think I went and saw it twice because I, I loved it so much. I had such a fun ride that, um, went back and saw it. And I told everybody to go see it as well. Kept harping about it on everything. <laughs> go see this movie. It's fucking awesome. Support this stuff because it's really unique. But, um, yeah, the, the mix that you guys pulled off, that must have been a really cool experience. So sitting there, hearing your music and then really tweaking it and then being in the theater and stuff. Is yeah. there any other fond moments? I mean, three weeks is pretty insane for, to compose that much music, um, and some really unique original bits. Is there in a, a couple fond moments during the process of making it follows that um, that you can remember offhand?
1: Um, it was a lot of long days, and you know, phone conversations with with David. Um, and you know, there was there was a point where uh, the opening track. Um, That was kind of the first track that I wrote for the film, and and that was kind of like uh, kind of the aesthetic, like concept for the whole film. And initially, that music was even more distorted; it was probably twice as distorted as it is in the final. (laughs) And uh, David and I thought it was awesome, like that distorted. But um, the uh, the mix engineer, uh, Christian, he had he had concerns about it. Um, You know, he thought that what would happen is that people people who worked at theaters and stuff and people who owned sound systems that they would think that their speakers were, were like dying
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it has a nice distortion to it
1: yeah um so you know we talked about it and and it seemed like it might be too much so we actually we actually dialed it back a little bit across the board
0: um, do you play some live instruments in this album as well or is it mostly um synths and um like keys and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's all it's all synthesizers. Awesome. In a couple of samples, but mostly it's synthesizers. And um, one thing I wanted to mention is that like the I think the creative process for this was so different than pretty much any other thing I've worked on, and not because it's a feature, but because there was a completely finished reference score the film and i so i had i had an idea about every single cue about what i wanted to do sure and you know i i could kind of take those and distill them down and so there's there is like there is nods to carpenter like direct nods to carpenter to penderecki to john cage and then there's a bunch of like of my own music that david used in the reference score yeah there's a bunch of music from Fez that <laughs> was was basically. That's gotta be agenda. tough for
0: you too, huh? You're hearing your old track and you're like, "Ugh, what am I supposed to do here?"
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was probably the hardest aspect of the, of working on the film mm-hmm. uh,
0: because David
1: really liked those pieces, the Fez pieces, and I wanted to come in and do something different, something fresh mm-hmm. that had somewhat similar vibe, but was was more different than it ended up being. Um, some of the pieces, you know, I I tried to do something new. But I used a slightly different aesthetic. Like, you know, we we had a miscommunication about what what it was. What was the essence of this piece that David really latched onto? Like in some pieces, it was that you know, oh, it's it has this kind of bright sheen quality that makes you think of the summer. And mm. I didn't really, I didn't really get that. <laughs> so I sure. I kind of dismissed that aspect of it and tried something new. And then he was like, "It's really good, but it's not as good as." I don't think it's as good as uh the fez piece. <laughs> so let's keep working on it. So like in one or two places like we ended up with tracks that were basically like uh like lost B-sides from Fez. Um mm. and you know at the time that was really difficult for me because I really try hard to do to make everything I do different than everything else. Sure. Um so I knew that people were, people were going to um make the connection. But I think to be it's fair in the people the best be- ways though. Yeah, people make the connection anyway. I think people people tell me like, like, oh, even though this is like in X style, like I still knew that it was you because of, you know, how you write music and, and whatever, so.
0: Yeah, it's still very beautiful. It's still really well, well put together. And um, even if it does have nods to it, it's still great, you know. It's like you can't get enough of the good stuff, you know. So I think <laughs> it's an enjoyable thing. I think also, you, I mean, these are great points that you bring up because oftentimes with films – um, they won't even have, sometimes, uh, film, comp- uh, filmmakers will reach out to a composer and they won't even have anything other than the script. And they'll say, okay, why don't you just go put together some pieces and then send that over and we'll, we'll feel that out and go from there. And, yeah. um, and then now you have a completely finished film almost to work from. And then you also have like a temp track. It's almost like somebody that came on the job and then got fired or died. And then you had to remake everything basically which is a very interesting process too, which, like you said, it can be very daunting at times because you're having to, um, trying to be unique and different because this is a big project for you, but then, you know, tasked with matching the same feel of a track. How do you go about kind of treading those waters and and making something new is because it sounds like you thrive off new experiences and stuff. So um, moving forward, I mean, you talked about Mini Metro and stuff. Is this, this is a completely different kind of departure from It Follows, obviously, or similar? Yeah.
1: No, it's it's about as different as it could be.
0: Can um, you enjoy that? The just the kind of the journey of experience.
1: I, yeah, yeah, I really like all my projects to be really different, and um, you know, I've been I've been doing like a lot of really like in depth sort of scripting and coding for for Mini Metro. So to, to jump off of that and to say work on a song on my piano or something like that's that's really nice because it's it, it's uh, it's totally a different thing. It's you know it's about as far removed from procedural, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, procedural electronic music as you can get. So um, I I really I really appreciate sort of the variety and uh, yeah, just, just always trying to grow.
0: Keep your mind kind of curious and constantly guessing and growing. Is that probably the case? Is keep you excited? Sounds like you do a lot of things at one time. So do you have like ADD or
1: <laughs> no?
0: Um, <laughs> do you I, have I, focused I... days of work and like what's your average day look like?
1: Yeah, I I try really hard to, to focus on one thing at a time.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, my days are are pretty. I mean, there's, there's variety in them. I don't always do things at the same time or anything like that, but I tend to have a morning routine. I like to make breakfast and meditate and do a little bit of exercise. Maybe do some reading, maybe take a walk, um, you know, do do some like surfing, like internet surfing and email and that kind of thing for a little bit. And then usually in the early afternoon, I'll get to work and, and I'll work until I get hungry and, uh, then I'll stop and maybe I'll work some more at night. Um, you know, weekends, I like to go out and do things. But
0: <laughs> be a human being? Be a human being. So, you weekends are pretty sacred? or
1: No, say- like, I, what I was going to say is that I, I, I like to do things, but if there's nothing going on, like, I'll, I'll just work more. I'll just work on the weekends. <laughs> because I, I've been in a place where I've been perpetually, like, behind schedule hmm. um, for years.
0: <laughs>
1: so, it's been a process for me to want to... Min- like narrow down the number of projects I have, and to and to be able to not be overwhelmed all the time. Sure. Um, and part of that, actually, for me, is uh, once I finish my next group of projects that I have, I'm, I'm planning to take a sabbatical.
0: For, oh, that's great! For like a year or two. Oh, really? That's awesome. That'll be really cool. I've I've always um, heard really great things, but I haven't done it myself yet. I'm still in the clusterfuck of a life um, setup that I have, but (laughs) that's really cool though. And so are you, um, I mean, so right now, so the way that you work is you will focus on one project at a time and just kind of nail those things out, but you have multiple things going at the same time. So your average day is going to be kind of juggling between those things or working between, you know, it's like when, when, um, it follows came along, I imagine everything else kind of got pushed around. Because that's a yeah. r- real intense month. So. Yeah, that
1: I had to drop everything to do that, and yeah. I generally like being wholly focused on one thing. So, sure, at, at the most, I'll you know I'll I'll keep up correspondence on the other projects. Like you know, if someone needs like a small thing for me or or they need to talk about something, like I'm always available for those things. But as far as like the actual creative, like most of the creative work, I like to have that focused on one project at a time. Because, you know, let's face it, we're, we're human beings and that's kind of all we are capable of anyway. So
0: sure. Yeah. (laughs) There's a limitation, but there's a beauty to the limitation of it. Yeah. When are you most happy when you're doing this stuff? I mean, what's, when have you found the most blissful moments in your career thus far?
1: Um, hmm. well, I think, I think when I'm, I don't know, uh, every project is is different um and i i really appreciate that and it's obviously not all always kind of a you know uh unicorns and rainbows type of thing but (laughs) yeah um i i really appreciate having freedom to sort of develop uh concept and then and then to to work through that concept. Um I've had a, a tremendous amount of fun collaborating with other musicians. I really I really value that.
0: Who's this, like, a couple that you really have enjoyed working with?
1: So I've been working a little bit with my friend Matteo and uh, we are planning to to score this game called Miyagakure. And uh Matteo is a as a really a really excellent performer and um, so, you know, he kind of has a, he has a, um, complementary skill set to my own, you know, where, where my focus has been largely electronic stuff and, and production. Um, so we, we've, we've collaborated a little bit on like some trailers and stuff for the game, um, where, you know, he's come over and, and we just kind of are in the studio all day working on stuff and bouncing ideas off each other. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've had these sort of like sh- these, these little bursts, these little work bursts where he'll just like come here and spend the night. Well, we'll like just kind of work on it for like a couple days and, um, you know, like go get food together and, and kind of just like be wholly zoned in on this one thing. Yeah. And to have that experience with like another person is really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it's really motivating cause you want to, you know, you want to do it for each other and, and, uh, it's, you know if it's if it's a good if it's a good pairing like you're going to create stuff that you wouldn't be able to create on your own so
0: yes i think it's a really cool creative process you know like you said you want to make it great for that person and you're constantly kind of building from one another and, and then at the end the project itself kind of benefits from that exchange so yeah. Instead of working insular and kind of um, away from people, the collaborative thing, I, I always find joy in it personally. If you just have to have the right collaborators, though, somebody that shares your similar values but contrasts against and, and supports your weaknesses with their strengths, you know? Yeah, totally. That's awesome. So, um, do you, you mentioned that you read as well. I'm really into books myself and I try to bring them up quite a bit. It's important to read. I think people forget that.
1: <laughs> are there,
0: are there, um, are, you know, are you, are you into reading Are there books that you, um, that you've read res- recently that are impactful for you or are you just in your past?
1: Um, right now I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of this book called the secret life of pronouns, which is a book about, pronouns Uh, interesting it's it's about pronouns and these various studies about how you know how the pronouns that people use reflects um you know certain aspects of their personality certain certain like status things and um studies about pronouns and gender just 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 all these sort of things about um uh you know how the way that you speak and the way that you write can be a reflection of your emotional state and you know how you view the world and 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 your your personality um it was i have a i have a friend uh, she has a linguistic background and she recommended the book to me so i like to i like to kind of dive out and and uh check out books in different different fields and and different uh genres and stuff
0: that's cool do you feel it contributes to your creative um your mind yourself and and how you approach things, having all these different random bits of information.
1: Yeah, I think I think that tends to be a, that seems to be a trend with me. Uh, just having lots of like random information. Um, I don't know. My my dad is really good at crossword puzzles, and that's kind of the same thing. So mm. I don't know. I don't know if that's related at all, but I just felt like mentioning that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool, man. I mean, definitely, <coughs> we a lot of our early programming. It's I think. Um, I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I've realized how much my childhood has affected me as an adult. I don't realize it until I'm an adult and more self-aware and I can look back on myself and go like, wow, like that was something that my mom would do. And <clears> now I'm doing it unconsciously almost. Like I didn't even realize it until I was able to step outside of my body almost and realize what I was doing, my actions of such, you know, so the interesting habits and just those things that come along with it. Is there other books I actually to talk about the um, the secret life of pronouns and all that stuff. I was I'm reading a book right now called The Fifth Agreement. I f- the yeah, I think The Fifth Agreement, that's oh. what it is. Have you read that before? The, f- the Five Agreements? Yeah, I yeah. think that's it. Is that like what it is, Carl, Andrew?
1: Carl Miguel released. It's Fifth Agreement, yeah. Yeah,
0: The Fifth Agreement. Yeah. What he remem- what he um talks about, it was really really interesting in this book. Um there's many really crazy things. Um, that he discusses, but one of them is about our language system and how it's all symbols um, and how it's agreed upon symbols. And it's interesting that you're saying how in the book that you're reading, it's saying that if you can understand, you know, how people are writing or how they're conveying their information across to one another, it's all kind of connected to this one thought, which I thought was pretty fascinating because... Um, you might like it actually if you're interested in this kind of stuff because it's fascinating, kind of like mind-bending concept talks and interesting, yeah. interesting well, concepts and stuff. So
1: I, I read the Four Agreements by the same author.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so he adds one more in there and made him more books. So he's like, yeah. oh, shit, I need to pay my mortgage. Let me add one more rule to this list <laughs> next <laughs> year. He's got the got six rules next time. So <laughs> it's like a, it's a pronoun added to the one of the other ones. So. <laughs> Today, yeah,
1: it? he's got a lot of books, and they've all got five stars on Amazon. So that's, <laughs> that's cool.
0: yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Uh, I really I find it interesting to read. I mean, books I was studying Scientology just out of curiosity um, a couple mm-hmm. months back, and then uh, sociopaths the other month, like a couple months back too, and. I like to read really weird stuff as well. And the sociopath, I think was kind of messing up my brain. So I had to stop because it was really fucking with my psyche. <laughs> as it, I, it was really great books. There's actually books that are written by sociopaths and their whole life journey. And, and then the, the, the Scientology, are there some books that you've read other than this one right now that, um, kind of recent time that you've enjoyed or something that you would recommend that I check out or the audience?
1: Um, hmm. The Hobbit. The Hobbit is my <laughs> well, that's like my favorite, one of my favorite books ever.
0: Yeah, I'm reading it to my daughter right now. She's loving it.
1: Yeah, that's a great book. but I think the book. I haven't. I tend to go in phases where I'm reading a lot, and then I'm not reading a whole lot. And I'm in a I'm in a phase where I'm not reading too much because I've been so I've been so t- deep into this project, this mini metro project. Yeah, it's required a lot of like intellectual thinking when I'm not working on it. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of other projects uh, of my projects are not like that so much. They're more like I can sit down and just kind of con- encapsulate it in that way. So, um, but the last book I read was, um, it was, it was a, my, my dad had his light, uh, has been reading Bukowski and uh, so I read a Bukowski book. I think I read, I think it was called Women. I think it was called Women. It was. It was a really, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Bukowski.
0: <laughs> Never read any of that stuff. No. Yeah.
1: It's pretty, uh, he's just kind of a, he's just kind of a, a low life. Uh, hmm. and, um, it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of interpersonal stuff and I think, um, a lot of it comes from, th- you know, his experiences in his own life. And I think there's something really interesting about, um, reading a book like that where you, you kind of get to see these interpersonal relationships, but be outside of it. And I think that's, there's a lot of value in that. It's just, just in, um, I don't know, uh, like cultivating uh, like, like ideas and um, about, about people and, and stuff like that.
0: Sure. Seeing the world through a different lens, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting when you read a book by somebody who has a really distorted lens to you and kind of trying to see the similarities and bridging the gaps between logic and illogic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll have to check that out. Anything else? I'm always asking people. This is a question I always ask everybody because I love exchanging books. (laughs) I think about making like a super book club or something. We should do that, Andrea. (laughs) Just nerd out on exchanging books and stuff. I've never done that in real life. I was actually considering joining like the local comic books, uh, like nerdy Dungeons and Dragons sessions, just because it's so good for your imagination to do that kind of stuff. You guys ever play that game? Yeah. It's incredible for your imagination.
1: It's super fun and it's hard. It it like uh, it put it it puts you on the spot a lot of times, especially if you have the right kind of dungeon master.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you I mean, I haven't played it since I was like a little kid and I never really played it seriously. Um, But I think it's really good and stimulates your imagination um, the way that you would have to build scenes and kind of this was before you know, v- video games were so prevalent. It was like a super high level board game, basically a very involved experience and stuff. And I don't know, I'm just curious and interested in that kind of stuff. So I've been going back to my childhood roots and kind of tapping into those things. So <laughs> yeah. Would you consider doing a Europe in Berkeley? Is that where you're living?
1: Yeah. In Berkeley, California.
0: How do you like it up there? I like it a lot. Yeah, uh,
1: I've been here for about three years and uh, you know, my first, my first, uh, experience living on the West coast and, um, you know, here, spe- here specifically it's the, the vibe is very kind of low key. Um, people are, are generally very open-minded and, yeah. uh, you know, people are very friendly. It's, uh, there's a, there's a really vibrant and diverse community of people here. So.
0: Really intelligent um, people up there. Yeah, for sure. In that area in general, there's a lot of high level thinking people in that area there's a good music scene out there too.
1: Um, I think so. Yeah, I don't go to a lot of shows. No, the shows I usually go to are for touring musicians. So, um, but I, I have friends. You know, I have some friends here who who are local and, and who make
0: really good music. Do you? What's the last live show that you saw?
1: I went to see uh, Yaga Jazzist.
0: Oh, I never even heard of that.
1: San Francisco, and they are. They are a fairly large band and have like maybe eight or nine members and uh, they're from, uh, I want to get this wrong.
0: <laughs> have they're you from, heard of it, Andrew? They're from normal. Band. Is it I mean, like this, metal or something?
1: No, they, they're they like, um, they're the, the closest band I would draw comparisons to is tortoise, but they're not okay. like, tortoise. they're more, they're more jazzy than tortoise. There's more like horns and stuff, not horns, but like saxophone and, um like breakbeat drums like acoustic breakbeat drums and uh guitars
0: like bonobo kind of or no Mm,
1: it's like it's more it's more out there than bonobo okay um it's really good stuff and i've been listening to it since i was probably like 18
0: okay been around Um, for a while
1: they've been around for a while and this was the first time i had ever seen them so it was pretty cool
0: cool experience
1: yeah it was cool to just be able to like you know hum hum along (laughs) I guess you can't really hum at a concert but it's more like more like yelling yelling the melodies
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) is there any memorable musical experiences that you've seen somebody live and just really inspired you to play live music or and have you played live music I mean obviously you have because of the the encounter with Fez but do you still
1: um yeah I mean my my two closest friends here are in a group uh they go by Totonoko T-O-T-O-N-O-K-O. And um, I'm just, I'm always, I'm always in awe of their ability, their performance ability and their music. It's, it's super great. And uh, so that's been, that's been a big inspiration of mine. And um, um, uh, my ex-girlfriend is, is an amazing performer as well. Um, she, she, her name is uh, Madeline, Madeline Tascan. And I'll type that out. And uh, yeah, so I've been, I've kind of, surrounded myself with with uh, musicians you know in my time here um and uh you know i've been really inspired by those people and kind of their own you know their own particular way of doing things and um you know and it goes beyond just the music It, it goes into like just you know life perspective and stuff
0: yeah that's awesome i think surrounding yourself with like-minded people really helps too especially if you're trying to focus on doing really great things and surrounding yourself with those um, like-minded people i feel i find to be really important for myself
1: yeah Um, i think there's like a there's like a a sweet spot of where people are like like like-minded but have their own things going on that are different yep and that's kind of what i i think I, i tend to be drawn towards
0: yeah, it's just most, mostly just the passion and finding that and working with people that have that same passion. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. Is there is there any films? Let's jump back into film stuff. Is, are there any films that you really admire or um, consider some of your favorites?
1: Uh, films.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Hmm. Um. I don't know if I have, I'm, I, I'm generally not someone who has favorite, like favorite favorites. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of films that I've liked. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: hmm. What have I seen recently? You know, it follows. Yeah, go see it. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Stop promotion.
1: Oh, oh uh, well, so I guess two of the most recent movies I've seen is um, the, the new Pixar movie, which was pretty good. Yeah, and, Inside Out. Yeah, and Mad Max, which was amazing.
0: Yeah, Mad Max was really great. Was Inside amazing. Out had some really amazing score stuff going on to it. I really loved it. Some really um, special moments I felt, and then great melodies. Mm. Had these really um, a big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of Cliff Martinez's stuff, and so all that crystal kind of, I don't know, crystal yeah ball I, kind of thing that warm sonic feel to it yeah which is really unique i think for quote unquote child's movie, which Pixar movies aren't really they're made for everybody but
1: yeah well for some reason the the music didn't stand out to me and i'm a i'm a I'm a big fan of uh Michael Giacchino, who I think did the score yeah for some reason i i I'm having a hard time remembering it um but Damn uh, you. but it, it it probably was really good and it it just kind of you know settled into into the experience in, in a nice way
0: yeah it's um, a, it was a f- complete experience for sure.
1: But uh, the music for Mad Max really stood out to me. Like I really like the soundtrack for Mad
0: Max. Really, I felt like it was odd for me. But I think it's just I felt like the timing. There was like all these weird timings that were happening. But sometimes it was perfect, and sometimes I'm like, "Wow, this is weird." Don't know why they put that there. And it was almost so much that it pulled me out of the movie quite a few times. So that's interesting. We had like opposite experiences. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: like so with the music, the music for Mad Max, like the. Pretty much all the action stuff, I thought was really, I really liked it, yeah. um, and I thought I definitely noticed it in a way that I could see it pulling someone else out, but maybe as a musician it didn't bother me. I'm not sure. But um, the music, the, the one, the the one, the one aspect of the score that I was a little iffy on was the sort of the more like sweet romantic like solo cello type type stuff that was happening. Um, in the, uh, kind of the in-between sections of the movie, like when, when they go like meet the, um, the old women and stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how I felt about that, but, um, but yeah, I really liked the sort of the high, the high octane sort of like <laughs> drums and the choirs choir and stuff and the, the guitar screaming. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. It was, it was a fun one. It was an interesting experience. It's kind of cool to go and see a film like that in this day and age too. So. Exactly. Yeah. We, don't, we get those few and far between. Is there a composer that you admire? And...
1: Yeah, there's quite a few that I really like. Um, uh, I, I really like Alexander Desplat, uh, uh Mark Mothersbaugh, John Bryan. Um, I like Hans Zimmer a lot. Um,
0: what are some of your favorite pieces from Hans Zimmer stuff?
1: Um, I really like I really like the the sort of the style and aesthetic that that they weaved for Sherlock Holmes.
0: Oh, was, interesting! Yeah, that was
1: really spot on and, and well conceived.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of tracks in there. That are perfect for that film. That's true. Yeah, it's really just jarring kinda, and crazy. But the the violin and the it was like viola or something that they used a lot for that. I think right. It's kind of interesting.
1: There's a lot of like uh, dulcimer or some kind of like yeah. hammered string instrument that just it. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. He just, it, it, he has an ability sometimes to create these like kind of these world, these, these musical landscapes that, um, capture the universe of something. Um, and you know, it's, it's a universe that, that doesn't really have a, like I, I didn't really think it had like a, a musical language before. and mm. I just figured it out. I mean, kind of in the way that like Marconi, um, you know, kind of came along.
0: What is, I, I'm not familiar with his work. I'm, I'm sure I am, but I don't know him. His name. What films well, has he scored?
1: He's uh, he he worked with Sergio Leone. Okay. A bunch of spaghetti western soundtracks. Yeah.
0: Okay. Perfect. Then. And yeah, I uh, love those. Once upon a time, in the West, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I feel like that stuff kind of came out of nowhere.
0: Uh, yeah, it's true.
1: I mean, I wasn't there, but <laughs> that was my experience of it. I was like, man, this music is so unique. And, Very unique, and yeah. really awesome, and uh, it seems to have just manifested itself all at once. So, uh, really yeah.
0: unique stuff. Really unique soundscape stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, am I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of like, sort of the thematic element of a lot of that music. Um, some really, really strong like themes and stuff, and, and, um, just really cool instrumentation. You know, using like, using like voices in unique ways and like, like, you know, a lot of those like old Leone films, the Marconi scores have like, you know, they have like people going, making sounds with their noise with their voices, like, you know, like, and like, you know, like all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, harmonicas and it's just a really cool sort of soundscape
0: yeah it's really unique too and to trust those kind of oddities to go into a film like that but it, i think it fits really well though um with what it is there's a lot of it's a real uh his films have this really interesting personal feel but they're unique and characterized that are really interesting so i love those films some of my favorites i'm always telling people to watch those sergio leone's films are really have some really unique bits to study some classic cinema that's kind of lost a little bit nowadays. I feel, but
1: yeah, well, I think I think like you said, the, the personal quality. I think the music, in some ways, lends itself to that because you know, while it's like an orchestral score and there is a lot of a lot of musicians, and that that in some ways, um, you know, makes makes the music a little bit more distant and more sort of uh, mythical. Like there's also all these like personal elements, like people's voices and, and individual like parts like like a nylon guitar player or you know somebody somebody on a harmonica or something like that kind of settles it back into like uh it, it settles the music back into more of a foreground and i think i think those elements like can can do a lot to to make something feel personable yeah and, intimate.
0: and it just goes to show i guess you're saying that there is no rules really then right it's just kind of whatever the thing is telling the the creative artist to do and their response to it. And then building from there, huh?
1: Well, yeah, I guess I think that there, there are things, you know, there are things that people have done that have worked for whatever reason. And, um, you know, those, those decisions are always there to, to kind of pull from as far as what might work, what, what might not work. But at the end of the day, uh, all of those things can be thrown away um, if it if it serves if it serves the project.
0: Sure. Yeah, the project is the king, I think, in supporting what you see and feel and and con- 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 connecting those things. Yeah. Are you considering working on more films? Is that something that you're trying to get into, or are you taking a break from that and focusing on other things? Or
1: I've had some opportunities, but uh, I've been I'm, I'm already fully committed to these projects I have now, so. I had to turn those down.
0: You got willpower. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be tough to say no to things, and especially when you don't know, right, the potential of things. You know, so.
1: Well, I think I've gotten pretty good at being discerning about projects, and um, that's good. I'm, I'm, um, you know, as I've done this more and more, I've become more and more particular about the kinds of things I'd like to work on. Yeah, because I'm trying to carve a certain, you know, I'm trying to carve out in a certain direction, and. and and to, to always do new things and um there's always this this trend where if you work on something and it's really successful people people come out of the woodwork and ask you to do something similar to that
0: yeah of course and um they can only buy what they can see so it makes sense yeah
1: yeah but like so i mean like david and i have talked about working together again and we've talked about you know and in that context you know doing something completely different romantic and comedy yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> but I mean, that's like, that's what I'm drawn to. Like the idea of, oh, you know, I'm going to work. I'm going to work again with the same person and we're going to do something
0: totally different. Sure. And that, um, that voyage is, is a fun thing then. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I'm, I'm I'm drawn to. Do you have a producer to help you with all this stuff or is it just you?
1: It's just me. Um, um, I, I kind of like doing everything myself.
0: Control uh, Controlling?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like to, I like, uh, I like keeping things really simple. Mm. I think by being, being in charge, I've been able to do that. um, For, for now, you know, we'll we'll see, but so far so good.
0: Awesome. That's cool. That's good to know. I think it's, it's hard to, to relinquish kind of control, especially when you like to work in small teams. I, I do the same thing and I have a hard time working on with people. And it's like, sometimes it's a trust issue, but then I have to get over it. So, Yeah. Awesome. And so you're thinking about more films, um, and you're working on mini Metro now. Um, I'm going to wrap this up here. Is there anything in the future that you're considering doing that you haven't thought of? So anybody that's listening might be able to connect you to those kind of things. Um, you know, you've done films and games. Is there something else that you're interested in building music for? Obviously you do your own stuff as well. So,
1: yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things I've been thinking about. Um, I, have been I have I have some songs that I've written at the piano over the last few years, and I've kind of been working towards making an album, but I haven't had the time to to really to really do that. So taking the sabbatical is hopefully going to help me with that. And um, sure, thinking about maybe doing some traveling, um, visiting friends, and, and maybe doing like an album where each song is a collaboration. Um, yeah, I'd also be really cool. yeah. Yeah, that's just that's one idea, and then um, I've also really wanted to work with live musicians more um, to write write for an ensemble or something. That's something I haven't done. Um, maybe write music for for a play. Um, I think that would be really interesting. So, I mean, I'm I'm looking looking forward, and also um, going to take that some of that time to just reassess what I'm doing and, and what my relationship is to, to music. Um, you know, maybe, maybe take some classes, try to, try to brush up on things. Awesome. Um, yeah.
0: It's really smart. I think it's a very smart move. Uh, and it shows, um, there's many things that, that I'm learning from you on this conversation is like saying no and then also focusing on what you're doing and then also knowing when to take a break and stuff. Um, I think these are high-level, kind of high-level professional ways of looking at how to develop develop a good career. So these are really great things. I'm hoping – is there anything, any kind of advice that you can give to possible other creatives that are um, coming up or um, on the verge of creating their own thing that you've kind of learned along the way that you could pass along?
1: Yeah, well, I guess um, I can just speak to what what I did and what worked for me, and that was that I was always – saying yes in the beginning <laughs> yeah. to pretty much everything yeah. and through that process I really learned a lot about myself and what what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do um, you know there were things like I, I worked at a game studio for nine months uh, doing sound design mm. doing robot sounds <laughs> and, I mean that was kind of my at the beginning it was a great opportunity I was fresh out of college and the, the question for myself was you know could I be a studio like an, like an in-house sound designer for for a game studio, like, would I, would I do that? Would that be satisfying? And the only way to really know was to try it. Sure. And it turned out that it was, it wasn't really my, my cup of tea. So, um, you know, that was a great experience for me and I don't have any regrets about it. So, I mean, I think, you know, especially in the beginning, it's, it can be hard, uh, to find stuff and, you know, it's, it's good to just do a lot of stuff, a lot of different kinds of stuff. And, just build up, a, build up an understanding and a vocabulary about, about your work and and, and what you want to do. And and uh, if you're fortunate, you know you work on something, you know something successful, um, like what happened with me with Fez. And then you'll have more opportunities. And then you have more control over your own sort of destiny as a as a as a creator. Um, so at this point, it's it's for me, it's been about. You know building freedom for myself to yeah. freedom to make choices and uh i think that's as a creator that's super super important
0: yeah, man. I think it's, I think you designed it pretty smart. And I think it's great that you've, like you said, you throw yourself at everything that you can when you're first starting out, get that experience and then hone in on what you want. And now you're getting to the point where you can take a, a, a significant amount of time to yourself to reevaluate, which is really important. Stefan Zagmeister, I think is really keen on those sabbaticals as well. And I think it's really good for the creative mind and just yourself. My only concern that I ever had with taking one of those is becoming irrelevant by the time you get back. But I think that's just a fear. Um,
1: yeah i th- i thought about that too but I, I i do agree i think it's i don't think that will happen yeah um, it's a i weird mean you, thing. yeah and then if you have work out there already people are still gonna they're still gonna interact with that work um and you don't need to ignore them so <laughs> it's know? true
0: yeah absolutely yeah. like
1: for me i i have a bunch of albums so uh if i did take a sabbatical i could still you know I, those would still be around and i'd still be having conversations with people like you and
0: Absolutely. No, this is really great. Well, hopefully I'm, I'm excited about what you have in the future and I'm, I'm hoping that our past will create, collide uh, at some point with uh, making something fun. I think that'd be really rad. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to everything moving forward and I really appreciate you coming on and I really, I want to, I want to thank you, um, for the experience of, for that film because that was awesome and also for the Fez experience too, because it, it really made that experience for me, you know, personally. So um yeah thank you i appreciate it oh thanks
1: a lot i really appreciate it too
0: hey, it's great, welcome. Fun. yeah thank you so much and i'm wishing you the best and um yeah have a great day and uh yeah i'm excited to see what you got going on next and that does it for this week's episode big thank you to rich for coming on and sharing his time with us this week you can find links to rich's work and all of the show notes for this week's episode at the 111 along with links to our facebook twitter and itunes podcast page Have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful, be prolific. Peace out.